Cool. Great. So it's Thanksgiving, and we're, uh, uh, you know, really excited about turkey. I know I am. I'm excited about uh, this sort of gathering that we have around the table and the sense of uh, community and family that comes. And, of course, we all have quirky relatives that show up at these things, and thankfully I'm not that quirky relative. Um, uh, we, you know, we have all kinds of strange family dynamics that we wrestle with when these things go on. But basically the idea is, is that we're coming to celebrate a feast, that we're coming to celebrate the incredible bounty and the generosity of God. And in that, as, as I was sort of pondering how to speak about this and how to, how to wrestle with Thanksgiving and, and, and talk about it, what seemed evident to me is that there's something about that moment when we're uh, gathered around the table that's really about finding belonging somewhere. If you can think back to your happiest uh, Thanksgiving memories, but you'll, you'll remember that sense of being embraced. You, maybe some of you didn't have that experience. Maybe some of you had hard, hard family experiences growing up. But for me, uh, I remember, say, being in my grandmother's house or my uncle's house with the family all gathered around and the table would be set and uh, the food would all be there. And uh, my grandfather would uh, pray his prayer with his funny sing song voice, Dear Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank thee and praise thee again for the day, this day and also this food. We ask thy blessing in our worthy and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's how my grandfather prayed every pray, prayer before every meal. But the family was all gathered around for that, and it was just, it was just magical. It was just amazing. And it was uh, more than the food, which as a young man, you can clearly see, I was quite excited about. Um, it was about that sense of belonging, that sense of being invited into something, that sense of, of, uh, of fitting. And that sense of belonging is something that we really struggle with in our culture. Um, there's, a, there's a sense in which uh, there's so many problems that we face in the West that have to do with isolation, that have to do with our sense of being disconnected. Uh, from one another. There's an amazing story of the people of a place called Ladka, and it's up in the Himalayan region. And uh, there's a sort of a, a scholar, she was actually a filmmaker named Helena Nora Hodge, as a young woman. She lived in Paris, and she was invited to go up and be a participant in a film shoot in this incredible exotic location up in the mountains. This is an example of a, a Ladki person. Uh, here and she was invited up there and really this western film crew that had come up to that space was one of the first uh, uh, sort of western encounters with this particular culture and they went into the culture and they found that it was an incredibly uh, beautiful and peaceful place everybody shared everything there was food for everybody it was just kind of one of these perfect idyllic uh, settings. They were getting along well with their neighbors. There wasn't any sign of that kind of strife or war. And as they came in as a film crew, they were trading their goods and connecting with the people and introducing Western culture and all of that to them. And, uh, and what, they f what she found, uh, having fallen in love with this place and going back to visit in subsequent years, is that the beauty that she saw when she first arrived there uh, was slowly being eroded and destroyed over time uh, with the introduction of um, whatever those uh, things were that they'd brought, and she would attribute it to consumerism. She says this in, uh, in an article that she wrote, the problems that we face in the West are rooted in an innate human tendency towards competitiveness, dissatisfaction, and greed. Consumer culture compounds this by feeding our insecurities until we have isolated ourselves from one another. There's no end of social and environmental problems that follow this plague of isolation. 
Uh, it's that sense of that uh, need to consume uh, something. Something is introduced into your life and, and you see it and you have a desire for it, an avarice for it, you want it, you have a desire to consume it, and there's something about that which causes you ultimately to have a thing that you may or may not be able to consume uh, that sort of seeds into this culture, the uh, the Ladka culture, uh, a sense of insecurity. And out of that insecurity, all of a sudden, in generations, uh, they were fighting with their neighbors and there was strife among them and sickness and disease at higher levels and just a whole host of social issues that f that, that came out of a, uh, from a community that once shared everything uh, became a community where the individuals weren't as interested in sharing everything became much more focused on self. And so that, uh, that isolation, that sense of uh, self is really uh, something that is uh, destructive for us. But Jesus really has an answer for that uh, in, in the way that he, uh, he positioned himself and in the way that he taught and the way that he invited us to live uh, as people. He offers us uh, an invitation to three feasts, really. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, three big feasts that are talked about in the scriptures, in particular the New Testament. There's lots of feasting and stuff in the Old Testament as well, but there's three really important ideas in the New Testament uh, for us to, to grapple with. The first we, we talked about this morning, we talked about the Eucharist, didn't we? The, the, the feast of the bread and the wine, uh, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Uh, that there's a way of the church really early on in its history used to gather uh, and really, really cherish this moment. Uh, so much more even than we do. We sort of do this as a monthly uh, thing. Maybe it's not as prominent in our services as it ought to be. But um, the Eucharist was really, really central uh, to the life of the early church. Uh, because there was something in it in terms of connecting with this bit of Jesus' story where we're realizing that we're taking his life into us and we realize that we're celebrating a commitment that he has made to us that will last for eternity, uh, that, uh, that was, was absolutely transformative to them in that time and space. Uh, but the context for that is, is really important. We often, uh, when we're doing uh, the Eucharist, when we're doing communion, we're sort of focused on that peace in the center, the sharing in the bread of the, wa uh, the wine. But Paul, as we know, was, was addressing a little bit of a broader issue in that context in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, and and this, is, this is really interesting because how many of you sort of grew up in, in sort of a conservative Christian uh, environment where, and this is, this is my background, where uh, there was a, a piece of teaching that always went with communion that it was really, really important to examine yourselves before you took uh, communion, right? That's a pretty familiar uh, teaching to us, and it's, it's right here embedded in the text. Uh, but I think uh, if we look at the text together, we're just going to look at it in just a moment, there's something uh, even richer there for us. I don't know if you remember what it was like for you as a kid when there was that real focus on, like, make sure that all of your sin is confessed. Do you remember that? Do you remember, do you remember what that was like? I remember as a kid being seated in the pew, and I was, like, literally, like, like communion for me was, like, head down, uh, eyes closed, and I was, like... Lord, like I'm thinking as hard as I can to think of all the bad stuff I've done, the times I mouthed off to my parents, and you know, like, like I'm feeling this enormous sense and this enormous weight of shame and guilt and pressure to, to uh, make sure that my heart is right before I take communion. 
And there's a way in which, you know, there's, there's a way in which that, that it's really healthy to step back and look at our lives as Christians and ask those kinds of questions. But I'm not 100% sure that's what Jesus intended when uh, he taught this in um, the book, uh, in, the, in his letter to the First Corinthians. In the context sort of around this passage, um, what he's really saying is he's describing a, a situation where, of course, communion was embedded in something that for the first century and a half of the life of the church was called the love feast. And basically what was happening in terms of the, the churches getting together was they would get together in somebody's home and people would, some people would be rich, some people would be poor, and everybody would bring a potluck. But it was, there was a, a dynamic, and we don't really know how or why it started that way, but everybody would just basically bring food for themselves. And, uh, and they would eat together, and they would share, and they would uh, do relationship, and they would connect, everybody eating what they'd brought. And then t- they would sort of pause that kind of a thing. There would be some preaching, typically. And again, this is from uh, writings of the early church fathers. And then they would do uh, the Eucharist, and they would do their communion service. And Paul is speaking into this situation, and he's saying, okay, so you're here, you're gathered, you're having supper and the rich people you're like bringing like so much food you're bringing turkey and mashed potatoes and uh no brussels sprouts um you know the whole full meal deal and this other guy who's really poor he's just coming and he's bringing a little sandwich he's bringing his pb and j his peanut butter and jelly sandwich Right? And he's saying there's something uh, wrong with it. Some of you are getting drunk and some of you are having nothing. There's, there's a sense that this feast is, is, is not about relationship and about connectedness. Uh, there's a sense that some of you come here have a high sense of belonging and some of you are coming here and have a low sense of belonging. Some of you have lots and some of you have little. And that's the problem that uh, Paul is uh, trying to address in this situation. Look, for each of you eat, and this is verse 21, for each of you eat, Uh, Each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? That's what the dynamic was like in that space. And so what Paul is really addressing is there has to be a sense of equality in this space and there has to be a sense of belonging uh, for those who have less. And so he teaches, he relays what we read in their service earlier uh, that we use for our sort of liturgy for the communion service. And then he says this in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For without, uh, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And, you've read, and if you've read a more traditional uh, version, if anybody who eats and drinks without discerning the body of the Lord. And when I heard that as a kid about discerning the body of the Lord, I understood that to be that this piece of bread that I was holding and this cup that I was holding, I really, really wanted to make sure I was connecting with the idea that these were the holy, uh, this was the holy person of God that I was really connecting with the person of Jesus. And I really, I get that that's a huge part of it. And if I'm going to connect with this holy person of Jesus in my very individualistic communion experience, if I'm going to connect with the body and the blood of the Lord, then I have to have my heart right and I have to have all of my sin dealt with and confessed before the Lord. And that's the dynamic I grew up with in communion. But the context that he's talking about here, he doesn't say um, you have to discern the body and the blood of the Lord. 
He's somewhat discerning the body. He's stepping back from those two elements, and he's saying, as you celebrate this, do you see the other people in the room? Do you see that you are all one? Do you see that you are all one body? That you are all one person before me? And so what he's really talking about is community. Does everybody who is here have the same sense of invitation to my table that you have? So we can't have this Eucharistic celebration and celebrate this all together and all in unity and all beautifully while we're modeling something completely different in the love feast before. It doesn't make any sense for people to be getting drunk and feasting and some people starving and then to say, hey, we're all united now just to do this religious thing. What he's saying is that it's so important to come together. And so that's the first of the feasts that the Lord invites us into, is a feast that is really a feast that's meant to be a table with uh, no head other than Jesus at it, a round table, a table where everybody is invited into the community and invited into relationship and invited into intimacy and invited into friendship and invited into this incredible, incredible feast that the Lord has prepared for us. The first feast is the feast of belonging to the church, the feast of the community, the feast of the church, the feast of family, the feast of being in communion with the people of God. That coming to the table and recognizing that each of us has a covenant with the Lord and each of us has access to his life equally is what brings us into the family and says, you're in, you belong you're part of this. And that's something we can give thanks for. The second feast is the Feast of Grace. And this is uh, really a, a phrase that the early church fathers used. Uh, looking back to Luke uh, chapter uh, 14, verses uh, 15 to 23. And it's talking about what it's like to live together in the kingdom of God. That as we live and as we make decisions and as we do the mission of Jesus Christ in the world, that we all have access to his authority, to his power, to his grace, to his love. And that as we do the things that God has called us to do, that there's something to celebrate and something uh, to party about, that it's a feast, that is something that is, uh, we're called to invite the world into. And let's just read this again. Uh, we haven't read it uh, in quite a long time. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 14, 15 to 23. This is something I used to preach about quite a long time ago, and, I, and it's just not something I visited in a while. Let's read this, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who eats at the feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the person who eats in the feast of the kingdom of God. Something about the kingdom of God, Jesus is trying to say here, is, is connected with a sense of abundance, a sense of celebration, a sense of feasting. And Jesus replies, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And I said, oh, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please, please excuse me. I, I can't make it to your, 
banquet. Another one says, I just got married, so I can't come. And so the servant came back and reported to his master. Then one owner of the house, or then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still more room. Then the master told his servants, go out into the roads, to the country lanes, and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited to the banquet will get a taste of my banquet. Well, that doesn't sound like the nice thing that sweet baby Jesus would say. <laughs> that doesn't sound nice at all. What you can hear in this passage is the incredible heart of the Father to feed you. The incredible, generous, amazing heart of God to provide an experience, a journey, a life of ministry with him that is just full of his life and full of his abundant grace and full of joy and full of uh, the miracle of the beauty of relationship and presence with him. That there's something amazing that we're invited into here. This experience that we have on Sunday morning is meant to be uh, here at OVV and at all the other churches in town and around the world is meant to be that. It's meant to be a banquet. It's meant to be, man, there's something amazing of the presence of God and life on the journey with him that we're supposed to be feasting on. There is so much on the table. Right? And, and, and we're kind of so often, I mean, straight up plug for church attendance for the people who are actually here this morning. So there's hardly any uh, point in that. But, but straight up, like, I know there's quirky uncles in the house, and I'm the quirkiest of the lot. And I know that we don't do everything smoothly and awesome all of the time. And I know that uh, there are things that we want to do with, we need smoke machines, I know, and we need, like, some lasers and to do something with lighting, and we need to get all that stuff down. Uh, we need fully professional musicians all the time so that it can be a perfect musical experience for you. But all that aside, you know I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek, right? <laughs> Although I like that stuff. Honestly, I do. Like, if we get there, that would be grand. Uh, but uh, honestly, with the quirky uncles and all, there is a feast of the presence of God here when we gather on Sunday mornings. There is a feast of the beauty of Jesus as revealed when we read his word. There's a feast uh, that's prepared for you when Jake speaks or when anybody in the community speaks. When I speak, there's, there's, a, there's a feast of announcements are a feast of other things that you can participate in to connect with the community and, and be part of transforming the world. And, and so often we're like, yeah, I got to go do this. I got to go do that. There's something awesome here. And not only is there something awesome uh, for those of us who know about it to be invited into, but look at, look at what it's like. Like, look at the empty seats here. Imagine the master of the banquet um, that Jesus is describing himself uh, as in this text. What's he saying to us as his servants? If we're the servants in the story, what is he saying to you and I? Like, here is a place of the presence of God. Here I'm going to meet with everybody. It's going to be fantastic. Like, go get them. Go get them. Like that guy who's over there in that house uh, who's sitting there watching TV and doesn't even know church is happening. Go knock on the door 
and get him in here. Go get that guy over there who's, who's shopping and he's gone to the beer store and he's just getting ready to get hammered for Thanksgiving dinner. Go get that guy. Go get that guy and bring him in here. Your relatives that have, have not wanted anything to do with church, like what do we need to teach you in terms of apologetics and, and describing the great grace of God so you can invite them into the life of this community? Uh, that person that you love who has just rejected God because they've been hurt, how can we see that their hurt is healed and invite them into this place? Go to the highways and byways. This church has to exist for the unchurched. That's what Jesus is saying. The gathering of the saints is not just a gathering for the saints. The gathering of the saints is for everybody. Like, get them in here. This banquet is for the poor and the blind and the lame and the weak. Get them here. Go get them. That's our mission, church. If we're the servant, that's our mission. Anybody a little intimidated by that? Yeah, do it anyway. Right, and we'll do our best. Like again, we're we're we have so much to learn about this as a church, and we're uh, you know there's so much that I have to learn about this as a pastor. But we have to train and equip ourselves to just go get them and bring them to the table. He's missing them. They're 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 people that Jesus wants here, and he's looking. He's like, oh man, where are they? I really wanted to meet with them today. Man, where are they? Like, go get them for me, please. I have so much food here. I want everybody to eat. That's our heart as believers. We're invited to that feast, and it's not just a feast for believers. It's a feast to be shared with those who are currently in the highways and the byways. And the last feast is the wedding feast, the great wedding feast, the great uh, supper of the Lamb. And this is in uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 19. This is uh, as God has remade the earth and brought heaven and earth together and all things are under his feet, um, not just uh, in terms of positionally, but terms in the reality that we experience uh, in the future world where he will be reigning on high. Uh, that's described in the book of Revelation. He says uh, this, uh, this is uh, John who writes this, uh, describing his vision. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Skipping ahead to verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. saints. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Who does the inviting? We servants do. We had an amazing Thanksgiving dinner uh, with the Hall family last night. I asked Toby permission to tell this story. Um, 
uh, one of the things that, that's sort of part of the natural family dynamic, I don't know if this is uh, like this in your, in your family, but uh, uh, in our family, you know, the adults are all preparing the meal and everything is getting done and the barbecuing is happening and, and all this uh, stuff is going on. Dad is out in the backyard with his musket. Everybody's taking turns shooting the, the, uh, the musket because I don't know why that's a family tradition for us, shooting guns, but welcome to my redneck life. Uh, yeah, yeah, Reggie scared, scared the crap out of Reggie. Um, but uh, uh, we're, you know, so we're out there uh, and, and just doing our thing. But the kids, you know, do what kids do at these family gatherings and they're down on the PS4 playing Fortnite or doing whatever they do, right? And, uh, and so they're busy doing that. Toby and Micah are downstairs. They're uh, playing on uh, an iPad or something like that. And the course of that time, as supper is getting ready, uh, you know, Toby is sort of in a back corner and focused on on the iPad. We make the call for everybody to come up for supper, and everybody comes up uh, rushing up, and we have this amazing moment that we have around the table with everything laid out, and there's pulled pork, and there's uh, turkey, and, and all the fixings, and chicken off the barbecue, and it's this massive feast. And it's that great moment that we described earlier where everybody is there, and where we gather the whole family and all of the guests who are with us and we, and we pray. And I think it's really that moment where we pray and say grace, that we're just anticipating the meal. Uncle Craig said a great prayer. And, uh, and in that moment, it's like there's that sense that we talked about of connectedness and family and belonging. And for Toby, that's a really, really special moment. Toby looks forward to Thanksgiving all year. And as we're standing around the table, uh, we celebrate, we have grace, everybody goes and gets food and everybody's eating and we're just past the desserts. And I'm not exactly sure how it all happened, but Toby came upstairs in tears. He'd missed it. Downstairs, just playing on his iPad, hanging out, and he'd missed the whole thing. His eyes are, are welling up, his heart's a little broken. the head of my household. I didn't notice that my son wasn't gathered around the table. That, what I was feeling, the shame and guilt of that, a sense of loss, that sense of having missed something, that is what your father feels for your friends who aren't coming to eat at his table. He longs to eat with them. You have to not be me. I missed it. It's completely on me. There are people that you know to notice that they're not at the table and you have to go get them because the father wants to eat with them because he loves them stand up Lord you have prepared an incredible feast for us
this life you've given us is just so amazing. You've saved us from our sin. You've saved us from our brokenness. You're transforming us. You're empowering us to do your work. This relationship with you that lasts forever is just the most incredible feast. And we are so thankful for it, Jesus. We are so thankful. But would you give us the grace to take our eyes off the feast for just a moment and have a heart for the ones who haven't made it to the table? Would you fill us with a passion for mission this morning? So that those who are on the outside looking in can come and eat with us. Would you release a spirit of evangelism in us, God? Would you release in us a passion for the lost? Would you release in us a passion for the marginalized? That our celebration could be so much more. And Father, for anyone who's here this morning who feels like they're on the outside looking in, that they haven't been invited to do relationship with you, would they hear the invitation again? The voice of Jesus saying, come, I want to feast with you. I want to do life with you. Send us out to invite others in. Break our hearts for the lost. So thankful for this abundance of your presence. Feel like the Lord has uh, probably just put people on your hearts, people to go and get and invite to the banquet. I just bless you to learn everything you need to learn, and we'll do our best to teach everything we can possibly teach, so you can make that invitation winsomely and joyfully.
Lord, would you call those people to the table and show us how to do it? We don't even know how, Lord. We, we don't know how to offer an invitation like you did. Would you just show us that, God? What words to say, what acts of service to do for every person. Specifically what they need to be invited to your table, Lord. Empower us to just go get them. God bless you. God bless you.